Well, thank you very much. Wasn't that great? Let's pray before we look into God's word this morning. Father, we thank you for this, the words of worship that we sing to you, that we're able to sing to you, that you are worthy of all worship. We thank you for the gift of uh, song and, and those who sing well and can lead us and praise you for that, praise you for those gifts. And then, Lord, we uh, also thank you for your word that teaches us and guides us and helps us and helps us to grow in you. Pray for your blessing upon this time in our service. And I thank you for every person here in the body of Christ and the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, can you think of a time when you were shocked to hear someone's voice? Maybe a friend you haven't seen for years, and you get this call, and you hear this. Can you guess who this is? Or maybe someone you've parted with years back over some issue or some reason, and without warning, you hear that unmistakable voice coming through your phone, and you don't know what to think at that point. It may be a little shocking to hear that voice again. Well, you know, in our scripture this morning, we have some people coming together for a very special event in their community. And at this happy event, they are shocked by a voice, not only from what the person says, but that the person who said it, said it. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> Very interesting passage. And so far in Luke chapter 1, as we've gone through this Christmas season, we've seen the angel Gabriel visit Zechariah the priest. He was in the temple lighting incense. And the angel told him that his aged, barren wife, who'd never been able to have a child, was going to have a baby. And now she was well past childbearing years. And not only would she have a baby, she would have a son who would do these wonderful, amazing things for God. He would make a big uh, splash, in a sense, in the nation and bring people back to God. Then we saw six months later, <clears throat> the same angel Gabriel visit Mary in a small town called Nazareth. And tell her that she is going to have a baby even though she was a virgin and had never been with a man in that way. So it will be the miraculous power of God, the Holy Spirit, whereby the baby will be the very son of God as, she, as he overshadows Mary and she conceives miraculously. <clears throat> now... Three months after Gabriel's visit to Mary, and that makes nine months after his visit to Zechariah, we know that Mary had spent the, those last three months with Elizabeth, 
And now it is time for Zechariah and Elizabeth's happy event. So if you would follow with me as we look at <clears throat> Luke chapter 1 and verses 57 through 61. And it says, When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And you know, even that is, is very... Uh, incredible or, or uplifting because, you know, the angel said you would have a son. And so while they're having this birth and it comes out a son, you're thinking, okay, everything's according to schedule, just like the, baby, the, like the angel said about the baby. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. <clears throat> On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to, get to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> I'm, gonna, I'm stopping here just to give some advice. It has, doesn't have a, a whole lot to do with the, the meaning of the passage, but... Uh, I think it's good advice. Uh, I'm just not sure anybody's ever taken it yet. But here it is. Uh, you see how Elizabeth and Zechariah got some pushback from saying they're going to name the baby John. And they said, well, there's nobody with that name here. And of course, you know, they didn't have surnames back then. It would be Jesus of Nazareth, you know, things like that to identify people. And so there would be an extra reason why Zechariah would want to name his child after him to carry on that family name. And that was the only baby they were going to have. But they get some pushback from trying to name it John. And, you know, when I'm talking to young couples who are expecting, my advice is don't tell anybody what you're going to name your baby before it's born. And the reason is because Somebody that hears isn't going to like that name. They're thinking of a first grade bully or somebody that played music till three in the morning in your apartment complex you lived in. <clears throat> and all they can think of by that name is that bad memory from that person because they can't see the baby. The baby's hidden in the, in the tummy. So they can't put a face to that, a new face to that name. All they can think of is the old. But if you wait till after the birth, then right there is the baby with that new name. And I think it's much easier for them to switch over. Anyway, <clears throat> that advice plus $2 will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> so now let's continue our reading with this passage as we move on. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. I think they're still pushing for uh, Zechariah, aren't they? He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, Zechariah's mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, 
people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now, when the Lord told Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son who would do these marvelous things for God and bring the country back to face God and turn back to God, Zechariah couldn't wrap his mind around that, could he? He said, how can I be certain of this? And here, Zechariah was a very dedicated priest of God. He was a very devout worshiper of God. And he was a priest, of course, so he, he studied the scriptures. I'm sure he taught the scriptures. I'm sure he believed the scriptures. All the scriptures he taught, I'm sure he, he really believed that they were true. He and Elizabeth were known for their, uh, their strong devotion to God. I'm sure he believed all the miracles of the Bible. You know that God created human beings and the earth and everything in it and all the different species and animals and everything. I'm sure he believed uh, that God led them, their forefathers, to Egypt and then freed them miraculously with all the plagues and going through the Red, Red Sea and led them into the, to the desert for 40 years and fed them. I'm sure he believed all of that. But he certainly had a difficult time accepting this miracle, didn't he? After knowing all of that and being a priest of God, very dedicated, very devout, he still couldn't accept that his wife, his barren wife, would have a baby in her old age after not being able to give birth. You know, I personally think that it's a lot easier to encourage others to believe God will help them in their difficulties than for us to believe that God will help us in, in a lot of our difficulties. Because when it's other people's problems... You know, I have no doubt that God can help you, whatever that problem is, to get through that problem, to deal with that person, to deal with that, that situation. Of course God will help you. You know, we'll pray for you. God will certainly help you. But you know, when it's my problem, and I know the ins and outs of that problem, and I know the people that I have to deal with with that problem, and I know how monumental the task is or, you know, what's set against me in that problem. I know that that difficult person I'm dealing with will never listen to reason. I know that neighbor will never become nice to me. I know that my boss will never change their ways no matter what, no matter how much I pray. And I'm guessing that Zechariah would have been much quicker to believe the angel if the angel had appeared to him and told him that somebody else was going to have a child who would turn people back to the Lord. And since it's easier to believe God will help others through their difficulties, it shows how much that we need each other in the body of Christ. We need each other because 
sometimes it's much harder to believe because we know the problems that it will take for this problem to be solved. We know how much work it will take and how much things will have to change. And oftentimes we just can't see that happening in our lives. But our friends, our Christian friends and brothers and sisters, they can encourage us with their prayers and their encouragement, telling us how God can help. And that's why we need each other, right? That's why we need to gather together regularly and listen to the word of God and encourage each other when one is down, another can help the other person get up. Now, I'm sure you noticed in this story when everything changed for Zechariah. It's when he wrote those words. His name is John. Four simple words. But those words meant everything. Those words meant that he had learned his lesson. After nine months of silence, after nine months of not even being able to utter a word, they meant he was now totally on board with God's plan. No longer was he holding back. No longer was he doubting. They showed that he was willing to stand against that whole community that was trying to get them to name him after Zechariah so that he could go with God's plan. It was just him against them. Even though the whole community couldn't understand why Zechariah wouldn't name his only son after himself and have him carry the family name. You know, from their viewpoint, they had a good reason to try to convince him to give him the family name. And when Zechariah did the brave thing by writing, his name is John, his speech came back. And everyone was in awe. They saw God's miracle as a result of his faithfulness, as a result of his obedience. And everyone went out, and it says that the whole community was, was uh excited about what was happening and they talked about the baby and they talked about the incident and it strengthened their faith in God they were all worshipers of God and it was all because Zechariah humbled himself I mean he didn't believe at first but he was a man who could learn he humbled himself he repented of his slowness to believe God and he made that bold declaration. From our viewpoint, it may not seem all that much. From his viewpoint, it was a total repentance and turning to God. But now the story gets even better. <clears throat> so many times in the Bible, when someone finally submits to God like Zechariah did and takes God at his word, that is when God steps in and, and working with a willing spirit, he starts to do the extraordinary. Often God is waiting for us to submit to his way and stop holding out to have just our own way and not God's. And after Zechariah submits to God's way and writes those words, look how God uses him to speak to his people. 
We're going on as Zechariah now is inspired by the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit, and speaks to his people. His, fa Ze his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn was an animal's weapon. It's what gave the animal the ability to fight and defend himself. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zechariah is praising God for making good on his promises to redeem his people. You know, to redeem is to pay the price to get somebody out of trouble, to free someone from their bondage. And this redemption is going to be in two realms. This redemption is going to be, as Israel was looking at it, a national redemption, to free them from their enemies, he said. Deliver them from those who hate them. Conquer their enemies. And then there's spiritual redemption. Maybe, I don't know how much they understood that at this point, but this redemption was going to free them from the slave market of sin. The slave market of sin that will send us to an eternal hell. And this redemption was going to save them from that if they would turn to it. And so there's probably a redemption there well beyond what they were even thinking. Now this is the first part of Zechariah's prophecy. He talks about God making good on his promises to Abraham <clears throat> to redeem his people. He's not yet talking about his son. He's talking about the Messiah that's going to come. Because there's these two births to these two ladies who weren't supposed to have children. Zechariah, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is prophesying about God's redemption of his people through the Messiah. And so you have both a national redemption and spiritual redemption, redemption from sin that will lead us to eternal hell. So Zechariah says that this redemption of God is now coming to them in the person of the Messiah. According to God's promises to Abraham, how long ago were those promises to Abraham? Well, at this time, around the time of Jesus, they were about 2,000 years before that. To rescue his people from their enemies and to enable his people, right here, to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 
This is so monumental for the nation of Israel. They have been waiting centuries upon centuries upon centuries for this promise to come true. I think Michelle mentioned that this morning. And of course, I'm sure some, maybe many, had given up on that promise of the Messiah, of the one who would conquer their enemies. They'd been serving or they'd been enslaved under so many different groups. You know, Babylonians, Medo-Persians, Greece, Romans. I'm sure some had given up and they'd just gone their own way. <clears throat> but others had been watching and waiting and praying faithfully, desiring to see the Messiah come, placing all their hopes in that Messiah. And so there's two things I'd like to mention at this point. You know, he's talking about promises that were 2,000 years before here. We are to never, ever, ever give up on the promises of God. And you know, the New Testament, New Testament even talks about people scoffing at the promises of God. Oh, they've been saying that for years. Where is the coming? We are never, ever to give up on the promises of God. We see through history, through the scriptures, that he always keeps his promises. But he does so in accordance with his timetable. You know, when we are anxious to see God answer a certain promise, or we're anxious to see him help in a certain way, he is at that time working all things out according to his schedule that includes a whole world of nations and events and things that have to happen in order for it to come out the perfect way that he has planned. And so we see people rewarded with God's action decades, centuries, millennia later. You know, if you've ever had a managerial or supervisory position where you have to consider numerous aspects of some event you're running or some place at your work when you're making decisions, you may have a time when someone under your authority who works in a certain area comes to you and asks you if you would handle this issue that they're dealing with. And what they want is you to handle this issue right now. And that person often doesn't understand all that needs to be considered in order for you to handle that issue in that one department. And so even in a human example where you have different departments in one business and somebody comes and they asks you to settle something and you've got to look at everything first. You can't just jump into one area and just change everything well you see God is working all, out all things according to his perfect timing and wisdom and also according to his love and compassion and he makes no mistakes 
And so we need to follow him faithfully in, even when we are tempted to be impatient, even when it's harder on us. And we see from the scriptures that he comes true on his promises no matter how long it takes. And he's the one that has it planned to take that long. And then the scriptures say here that he rescues his people from their enemies so they can serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's a reason for his rescue. To enable us to serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So it doesn't say that God saves people just so we can just sit around and say, we're saved. Or that he redeems us so that we can just go on living the way we were living before we were redeemed. That's not the point of Christianity. It says he redeems us in order to serve him in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And what that means is basically living as a serious follower of Jesus Christ. You know, when my friend began talking to me about Christ, that was not very comfortable for me at all. That was very uncomfortable. And the only reason I kept listening was because he was a longtime friend. And we had heard stories about him when he, when he became a Christian. And it kind of scared all of us. And as I spent time with him and he kept talking to me, and there were times that we were together, you know, working out, and there were other months that we were apart as each of us were at school and then come back together. But as things moved along and I was coming further and further, you know, closer to uh, understanding the faith, I reached a point where I felt like I had to make a decision to either accept Christ or just turn and walk the other way. And I was very, very fearful at that point because it was going to mean a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of acting, a whole new way of relating to people. And I knew that I would lose my closest friends. And I really enjoyed being with my friends. And I knew that I have to stop doing everything we friends did with each other. So I didn't know of people, I didn't know the Christian world at all. And I didn't know of people who were Christians and really didn't live for the Lord. All I knew were a few Christians who were totally committed, and then there were others who weren't Christians. That was my world. That was my understanding. Either you were Christian, and you were totally committed, or you weren't a Christian. So, kind of like God tricked me, because when I came to Christ, that's what I was thinking, that's what it was. You just come all in. Now I look back and thankful that that is how God worked in my life at that time. Because I just knew from 
the people that I'd met, the Christians that I'd met, that I had been redeemed to serve him in holiness and righteousness all of my days. And that doesn't mean that we are perfect or I was perfect or anything like that. But it just means you move in totally and you follow Christ. So you see, that is God's plan in our redemption. He rescues us to serve him in holiness and righteousness all of our days. And we fall and we stumble, but then we repent and we turn back to God and we look to others for help. So is that how you feel? Do you feel that's why we're here? To serve God and live in a way that pleases him. To not just go our own way, the way that we would desire everything, but to go God's way and to live in thankfulness and faithfulness and unselfishness and ready to do things for others and to help others. That's what Zechariah is saying. And now, <clears throat> he's talked about the Messiah coming. Now he's going to talk about his own son. He says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. That's, you know, Christ coming to give us light. To shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. <clears throat> and Zechariah is saying... He talks about the wonders of the Messiah and what the Messiah will do. And then he says, and you, my son, you've been chosen to go before the Messiah and prepare people's hearts for him, to turn the nation back to God. John the Baptist had this amazing ministry that God had laid out before him. He was to prepare the way for this long-awaited Messiah that had been promised for so many centuries and John the Baptist would work the soil, till the ground, to make it ready for the planting of the seed. John's ministry would prepare hearts for the coming of the Savior to hear his message. Now, how will John's ministry get the people ready? Back at verse 77 again. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You know, the Bible says that John the Baptist, as we read on in the Bible, says he preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John was preparing people's hearts for the coming of the Messiah for the coming of the Savior, the Messiah, by calling them to repentance of their sins. Repentance means you change your whole way of thinking. You turn, you start going the other way. 
you're walking away from God and you hear the, <clears throat> the preaching of John or the good news and you turn and you start walking toward God. And he's getting them ready to see Christ as the Messiah and as the Savior. His message and ministry was preparing, were preparing to put them into the right frame of mind so they could accept Christ and turn to him and see that he was from God. And when the Savior comes, it says he will be like the sun rising in darkness. And he will lead his people to paths of peace. He will give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Now, you know, I see this as such an important point. And I've said this often, but, you know, when people outside of Jesus Christ, so often they don't understand that God's salvation comes through forgiveness of sins. We've heard that so many times. We're used to it now. But you know, when you ask anybody if they're going to go to heaven, they think, I think I'm good enough. I'm not as bad as, what's his name? I, th I think I'll maybe make it. I'm, I'm a decent person. I don't steal. I hardly ever lie. And just all those things. To try, they're just trying to put themselves into this place where they're good enough to get to heaven. And then they think of all the evil things they've heard of that they haven't done. But really, that's works salvation, isn't it? That's trying to be good, trying to get to heaven by our works or by how much evil we haven't done or whatever. But that's earning our own salvation, and nobody earns their own salvation, right? And John the Baptist, even though he really came down hard on them for some of the things that they were doing and told them to change their lives, he was preaching a baptism of repentance so that they could find forgiveness for their sins. Our being good enough just to make it through the pearly gates isn't really how God has set it up. But John's was a message of salvation through forgiveness. A baptism of repentance that leads to forgiveness. We repent of our sins and turn to God for his forgiveness. The thing is... In order to be right before God, in order to inherit eternal life, we have to have no sins. Actually, we have to have all sins taken care of. We have to have complete forgiveness for all of our sins. And that's what Christ came down to give us. He came down and he died on the cross to pay for every sin for all who will turn to him place their faith in him and follow him. We repent of our sins and we turn to God for forgiveness. We have to have our sins forgiven in order to be saved. So if you're talking to somebody and they try to say how much they haven't done bad or how much they have done good or whatever, ask them, have every one of your sins been taken care of? Can you go before God completely clean of all your sins? And of course, they 
probably won't know what the hell that means. But that's basically what it is. And it only comes through faith in Christ. Because he died on the cross to pay for all of those sins. And when we confess our sins and turn to him for salvation, that's when we're saved. Our sins have to be paid for in order to be saved, and Christ did that for us. And God sent John the Baptist to prepare people's hearts to turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And Christ is the only way to that forgiveness. And we do that when we turn to him in repentance. So when Zechariah and Elizabeth's friends and family gathered to celebrate their miracle baby, they heard a shocking speech. It was shocking because the one who spoke it was not able to speak for the last nine months. But even more, it was shocking because the message was one of salvation through the forgiveness of sin. And these two miracle babies were going to be the ones to bring that message of forgiveness and freedom to God's people to lead them out of darkness. And so Luke ends this, this passage with a little summary update of John the Baptist. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. All according to God's plan, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can turn to you as the all-wise, all-loving, able to do anything and everything, and having everything planned out according to your immense wisdom and according to your love. And we pray, Lord, that we would understand that better and better and be able to tell others, you know, just exactly what it is to be forgiven by God. And Lord, may we be that conduit to where others come to know you and have eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.